Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, you're better than the first crowd. You're a little livelier. Let's see if we can do better. Good morning, everybody. All right. Well, if you know me, you know I am not scared of a little, you don't scare me. So I'm not afraid of a little feedback if you want to talk to me. And uh, while we're going through this stuff, I'm, I'm game if you are. Uh, and so my name is Darren Morehouse. I'm one of the pastors here at Pinion Hills. And I realized this week when I was putting the message together that uh, it was nine years ago this week that I came on staff here. And let me just say that this followed a period of 20 years in, in doing ministry somewhere else and, and leaving that situation, swearing that I would never work for another church. And let me tell you what's different about this time, the last nine years, as opposed to the previous. And the difference is you. And just, just I'm amazed at the people that God has brought here. And it, I don't know that I know every person sitting in the room personally, but let me tell you, uh, I have an immense love for you and for this church because I feel like we're, we've got some of the greatest people in the world sitting in the room this morning, and I really mean that. And so, so it's an honor to, in fact, you can give yourselves a hand if you would like. So, and it's ironic because we're going to continue on our series this morning uh, about You Belong, and today we're going to be talking about You Belong in His Heart. And so what we're going to really focus on is this immense, undying love that God has poured out for us. Aren't you grateful for that? I mean, it's an amazing thing that the God of all the universe would pour out His love to transform us and draw us in. And so, um, you know, in fact, I think it's, it's incredible. When God had the opportunity after Adam and Eve fell, he had the opportunity. He could at any point in this whole thing just said, you know what? This didn't go as planned. I'm going to scrap it. Let's start again, and we'll see if we can do better the next time. No, he didn't do that because he loved. His love is so intense and so fierce that he wasn't willing to even lose one person. He was willing to find a way to express his love and to redeem man. And that is the power of his love for us. It's so intense. And so, so that's what we're going to be talking about. And, and the hard part of trying to encapsulate the love of God in a message is because we live in a world with the, the finite capacity to be able to understand and to grasp how wide, how deep, how broad the love of God is. And so that's our challenge on being on planet Earth and, and do, dealing with what we have to deal with because, man, we have a limited capacity to understand. But let me just tell you this this morning. Regardless of what we can grasp and what we can't grasp, God's love exceeds every expectations that we, or every limitation that we could place on it. It's greater. And so, so the, but the great thing is, is when we live our lives and we walk in a relationship with God, when, he, when we accept the love that he's poured out of his heart, listen, it transforms us. It makes us better. It's, it's, he brings us to a place of fulfillment. 
He makes our relationships better. He exposes us to our purpose and our plan for us being on planet earth because it's not an accident that you're on planet earth. That's intentional. He loves you. He wants to see the, your, your life filled with purpose and, and vibrance. He just wants to bring us, to elevate us in every way. And so, and even on the small scale, when we talk about love, how many people have ever been in love before in here? Let me see your hand. How many people are still in love? You better be careful. But even on a small scale, so when we talk about a, a loving relationship, there's, there's effects, natural effects that it has on us. And I'm going to read a few of those. So number one, love makes you dumb. Studies have shown that people who are passionately in love and less, are, are less able to focus and to perform tasks that require attention. When you have just become involved in a romantic relationship, you'll probably find it harder to focus on other things because you spend a large part of your cognitive resources on thinking of your beloved. Number two, Love can make you less vulnerable to pain. It turns out that some of the areas of the brain activated by feelings of intense love are the same areas that drugs use to reduce pain. Number three, love makes you walk slower, at least for the guys. That is, researchers have found that men adjust their walking speed to match their romantic partner's pace. An odd phenomenon not seen when guys walk with someone they consider just a friend. Number four, it changes your heartbeat to match that special someone's. Studies suggest that when you're in love, your heart beats as fast as your partner's so that they're at the same, so that they're at the same rate. Isn't that romantic? Number five, it makes you go up an octave. Women tend to speak in a higher pitched voice to men they find attractive. Research also suggests that people in love may sometimes try to mimic or match the pitch of their romantic partner's voice as a way to communicate affection and a sense of being on the same page. Number six, it makes you blind. Some studies show that people in a committed relationship who have been actively thinking about their partner actually avert their eyes from attractive members of the opposite sex unknowingly. It's called an act of unconscious attentional bias. Number seven, to all you men out there, it turns you into a daredevil. We've all heard tales of the knight in shining armor risking it all for his beloved. Studies of risk-taking behavior in men and women show that men are more willing to take unnecessary risk for a romantic partner. And finally, number eight, it makes your pupils grow. Guess this means eyes are really the windows of the soul. Studies suggest that pupil dilation correlates with intense emotional states like being in love. So on a very small scale, we can see a physical, physiological response to love. And there's a million other things, and we could spend a ton of time talking about this. But what, what I want to get us to today is, imagine that the creator of the universe, the God of all creation, opens his heart up and pours his love out to humanity in a way he, can't, he doesn't retract it. 
He does, it doesn't shrink, it doesn't change. But the God of all creation opens his heart up and extends it to mankind. How much more power in the love of God is there to transform us, to change our lives, to renew us, to, to, to move us on, to fulfill us? And that's the kind of love that we're going to be talking about today because once we get our, our lives in a place to where we, we walk in his love and we're able to express his love to others, he'll do things in your life that you never thought possible. And so I want us to look in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 because in order to to understand love, we have to know what it is. And so it says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I don't know how much more plain than that it can get. This is love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Are you grateful for that? There wasn't any qualifiers it wasn't anything else. He laid down his life for us, and that's what love is. And so love is not what we get out of it. And I can tell you, and my wife's probably watching online. Hi, honey. But the majority of the fights in our marriage is when I start thinking about what I get out of the relationship. The majority of them. It's when it becomes about me. It's when the focus shifts off of serving my wife, being a good husband, being a good father. Most of those things, they're, they're my problem. I'm just true confessions. It's when my focus becomes misplaced. Because, and you see here, love is Jesus Christ laying down his life. He's not setting any expectations about what he gets out of the deal. In fact, what Jesus gets out of the deal is to spend the rest of eternity with the people who call him God, who call him Lord, and who give their hearts to him. That's what he gets out of the deal. But there's no mention of what Jesus gets out of it. It's simply laying down his life. And so with me, anytime we've had a problem in our marriage, usually it's me thinking it's about me. Instead of laying down my life, as the Bible says, to serve my wife like Christ served the church. It's not about me. In fact, the interesting thing is, the more that I... Wow, that scared me for a minute. I didn't know all those people were staring at, staring at me back there. When I get off track is when I am not giving. And the fulfillment, here's the crazy thing. Usually, when I'm fighting for something, I don't get it. But when I serve my wife, when I serve my family, when I lay everything down to serve them well, not only do I usually get what I was trying to fight for, but it's better. Especially because there's no baggage attached to it. So, honey, I'm sorry. It's my fault. But what would it do... What would it do for every marriage in the room, for all the relationships in the room, for our parenting, for our, our employment? What would it do if we got rid of, all right, what do I get out of this? And we started, to, we started trying out serving one another. 
when we started laying down our lives for one another, when we stopped thinking about, okay, this is what I'm gonna get out of this. So it becomes not manipulative. I genuinely wanna serve. I genuinely wanna love. I genuinely wanna help you succeed. That's what we call servant leadership. It's sacrifice of self for the success of others. And it's laying down our lives. I think that would radically transform our marriage if we're both trying to serve one another, outserve one another. I think it would radically change all of our relationships if we preferred one another over and above ourselves. Do you agree with that? One person up here. I mean, just, just imagine that because once you strip away our expectations and we walk in love and we serve one another, that's where the presence of God, that's where the power of God comes in and radically transforms. And true love really is about what we're, what we're willing to give up in order to express it. That's what true love is. Obviously, Jesus' sacrifice is the evidence of how much God loves us. That he was willing to give up everything. And the amazing thing about his love is that it doesn't change. Our, our issues of our life, our distractions, our challenges, our sometimes even frustrations with God, not understanding why he's doing something the way he is or how he's doing something, those frustrations, while being frustrating, doesn't change the effect and the power of God's love. It doesn't change it. In 1 John chapter 4, and verse, starting in verse 9, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So there's, when we talk about we belong, there's two concepts that we've really got to grasp. Number one, God paid an incredible price for us to belong to his family by extending his love. There may not be another single person on the planet that loves you, but God loves you. Sometimes we get into our stuff and we, we do something dumb and we exclude ourselves. We take a step back and say, how could anybody love me? I'm such a despicable human being. I've done this, I've done this, I've done all of this stuff. But you know what? In the kingdom of God, none of that stuff matters. It's just stuff. It's not a barrier to God's love. It doesn't diminish God's love. His love stays constant. The second thing is, God desires that we become the extension of his love to others. That's really how God's love is perfected. When he extends it to us, we receive his love, and then we extend it to other people. That's, how, that's the power of love. That's how his love is demonstrated. Listen, there are people that will never... God will never show up in front of them and, and pronounce his love for them, but he will use people. 
He will use people to speak into their lives. He will use people to demonstrate. And so, so many times, we disqualify ourselves for whatever reason. I mean, it could be personal things, it could be challenges, it could be a number of things. But there is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing strong enough to separate us from the love of God or that makes us, that invalidates it or makes it unavailable to us. In fact, Romans 8.28 says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, including ourselves, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate, separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love is activated by our actions and extending it to others. In fact, I don't know how many times over the course of my, my life I've been asked by people, you know, what, what, how do you know that God even really exists? I mean, you know, you, you have these conversations. I've had a bunch of them over the course of my life. But one of the, the, one of the greatest evidences that God exists is when one person demonstrates love to another. Because the Bible says that God is love. So the capacity for a person to extend love without the existence of God, it doesn't exist. The capacity to love is given by God. So that is by far the greatest evidence that there is a God, he loves us, and he uses people to extend it to other people. That's why being, that, that's why Losing that selfishness, losing our, okay, what do I get out of this thing? If we can lose that and serve one another well and love one another well without strings and attachments, that is the evidence of God's love because he gives us the capacity to do that. John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new command I give you. Again, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Notice that these scriptures all have this in common, that God is encouraging us over and over to be the conduit of his love to other people. Our enemies, our family, strangers, wherever that is. Because that is his flow. That is where, where uh, the evidence of our love for God is confirmed by the way that we love one another. And it's not just, uh, there's so many things in the Bible where you look at it and you think, okay, well, pray. Okay, I prayed. Let's check that off. I read my Bible. Let's check that off. Went to church this Sunday, check that off. Uh, I said hi to the postman, check that off, whatever. Uh, I didn't kill anybody, check that off. Uh, whatever it is, 
And sometimes we view love that same way. It's kind of like, okay, I love somebody this week, check that off. And it's not that. You know, when you read scripture, one of the things that they tell you is, consider the context. So what time period was, was it written in? What cultural background was it written in? So that when you read the Bible, you have a better grasp of what's being said and the, and the context that it's being said. And so one of the dangers of, of talking about love and looking at it as though, yeah, it's another checkbox, you know, I'm, I'm loving my wife, I'm doing the things I need to do. One of the dangers is, is it's not a task to be completed. It's, a, it's the context that we live our lives. So when we read Scripture, when we pray, when we look at all of these things about the character of God, love is the context. It's not a task. It's the context. When we realize that the whole foundation of faith is God loving us. That's why he says that is the greatest commandment, is love. And let me tell you, at 54 years old, I've heard more sermons on what God can't do. I've heard more sermons on the ways that he's looking to punish us. I've heard more sermons about casting God as an angry old man that's going to punish me for my sin. By far more times than I've heard about how big God's love is. And one of the, the greatest examples that I can look at is when I was a little boy, my, my parents ended up getting a divorce. And so I didn't understand everything that was going on. I know my dad was doing some stuff he shouldn't have been doing. And so, so that's about all that I understood about the context of what was going on. But I can tell you this, in that time period... As a little boy, I'm listening to these messages about divorce and how bad divorce is and divorce is going to send you to hell and all of this stuff. And, and then my parents get a divorce and the church kicks us out. And then uh, I can remember imprinting on me as a little boy thinking, man, my mom is going to go to hell. That doesn't do anything to build confidence, confidence as a little boy. And in fact, it cemented in me the idea that divorce is bigger than God's love. The church doesn't want us. All these people are preaching about divorce. We're going to hell. There's not a chance for us. It's bigger. And then I listened to all of these other messages over these years. That's the great thing about being 54 is I look at all these things and I, I've got so much a better perspective on things. And, I'm, and I started looking at all of the things that I've heard preachers say that make it seem like stuff is bigger than God's love. So divorce was one of them. But I know this now, God's love is bigger than that. Our family wasn't bound by that stuff in spite of the actions of the church kicking us out. Divorce is not bigger than God's love. And I look at the social issues of the day. 
and the religious and the political and all of these stuff. And, and I don't know why the people with the loudest voices get the most press time, but there isn't anything on the internet or television that's bigger than God's love. Nothing. There's nothing that we can do that outpaces God's ability to forgive us and pour his love out in our lives. There's nothing. There's not one person in this room that represents something that's bigger than God's love. There's nothing. I remember that the long hair was the thing that was going to send you to hell in the 80s. And honestly, maybe mullet should have. I don't know. <laughs> but, there, but there isn't, there, that, that's a, that was an issue. And then I can remember, listen, I burned some of the best albums out because my mom wanted us to go to a thing that was talking about rock and roll music is going to send you to hell. Everybody's listening to Led Zeppelin albums backwards to hear the voice of the devil and all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't know about you. I don't listen to my records backwards. So I don't know how I was ever going to find it. But anyway, there was this campaign. We're burning all the records because rock music is going to send you to hell. I got news for you. Rock music is not bigger than God's ability to love us. It's not bigger than God's love. I can remember my grandma railing on people with tattoos. Sorry, grandma. Tattoos aren't bigger than God's love. It's not even a blip on the radar, but yet I've seen people like almost go to blows because no, tattoos are of the devil. Listen, man, Jesus, it says in the Old Testament that they weren't supposed to get tattoos, but my Bible says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Why is it we rush so hard to get back and put the chains back on when God is extending freedom through his love and through his sacrifice? And the crazy thing is, I played in a Christian rock band, had long hair, and played Christian rock music. And even Christian rock music, they were railing on that, saying that was the devil's counterfeit, and that's going to send you to hell. Give it up. It's not bigger than God's love. It's not. And so many things that, that take our attention. We get the same. Because they're talking about it, it's got to be. But no, there isn't anything bigger than God's love. God's love is bigger. You don't have to be bound up in shame and wondering. I'll just, I'll just fix it for you right now. Look, God's love is bigger than anything that you can come up with to disqualify yourself. It just is. He's not looking for an excuse. How can I figure out how to get rid of this person out of the kingdom of God? Because they annoy me. No, God's not doing that. You don't annoy him so much that he's trying to look to get you out of heaven. No, his love nullifies all of that stuff because he longs for relationship with us. He longs to embrace us. He longs to be the peace in the middle of the storm. He longs to be the healing in the middle of, of our broken bodies and our sickness and disease. Hey, listen, that's where he loves to move is in our stuff. He loves to pour out his love in the middle of it and heal us and give us peace and take us through the storm and grow us stronger. That's because he loves us. 
I didn't discipline my kids because I hated them. I disciplined them because I didn't want them to grow up to be jerks. And because I love them, I want them to be, I want them to produce. It wasn't out of anger. It was out of love. And so sometimes we go through stuff and we get mad at God. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to get us to be a better version of ourselves. He's trying to empty us of ourselves so that we can be a conduit of his love to other people. Isn't that an awesome thing? He's not trying to exclude you. Don't buy that lie. Don't buy that lie. He's not trying to exclude you. So much shouting, I forgot where I was. But I do have to qualify it. There is one thing bigger than God's love. And that's our ability to reject it. That's the only thing. And he loves us so much, he actually gives us the choice. Because he's betting on the fact that once you experience his love, and once you realize that there's nothing that can disqualify you from it, he's sure that when you get a glimpse of it, you'll choose it. But that's the only thing bigger than God's love is the free will that we can say, no, I don't want it. So love is bigger. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm sure that there are people in here, that first line, you could probably say, yeah, that probably describes me. I'm weary and burdened. But this scripture doesn't sound to me like he's trying to exclude anybody. It sounds like he's wanting to partner with us, to walk with us, to be involved with him so that he can intervene in the affairs of our lives. And I want to read you a little little story. We're going to, I'm going to finish with this and then we'll take communion together at the end of the service. But I want to read this to you. Years ago, before transatlantic flight was common, a man wanted to travel to the United States from Europe. The man worked hard, saved every extra penny he could, and finally had just enough money to purchase a ticket aboard a cruise ship. The trip at that time required about two or three weeks to cross the ocean. Before his departure, he went out and spent what little money he had left over to buy cheese and crackers in hopes that it would sustain him on the upcoming journey. Once on board, he watched as other passengers went to the large, ornate dining room and enjoyed the finest food, the finest drinks, the most elegant desserts while being entertained by world-class performers. Meanwhile, the poor man would remain alone to eat his cheese and crackers day after day. 
He could smell the delicious food being served in the dining room. He heard the other passengers speak of it in glowing terms as they rubbed their bellies and complained about how full they were and how they were going to have to diet after the trip. The poor traveler wanted to join the other guests in the dining room, but he had no extra money. Sometimes he'd lie awake at night dreaming of the sumptuous meals the other guests described. Toward the end of the trip, another man came up to him and said, Sir, I can't help but notice that you're always over there eating your cheese and crackers at mealtimes. Why don't you come into the banquet hall and eat with us? The traveler's face flushed with embarrassment. Well, to tell you the truth, I only had enough money to buy the ticket. I don't have any extra money to purchase fancy meals. The other passenger paused, put his hand on the gentleman's shoulder and said, Sir, don't you realize everything, including the meals, were available for you to enjoy and included in the price of your ticket? The limits that we place on the extent of God's love are self-imposed. There's nothing that's holding us back this morning to flow in the love that God has so graciously poured out. 